Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, a podcast on the San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball brought to you by Ken's 5, the official TV station of the San Antonio Spurs. I'm Jackson Floyd, and joining me as always, we have Evan Klosky from Ken's 5 TV Sports. And Tom Petrini, uh, I think we branded you the uh, digital guru for all things San Antonio Spurs for Ken's 5. Works for me. How's it going? It's going great. And, That's and Harriet's man at Ken's 5 as well. <laughs> don't, don't forget I can't help that. it. I'm Italian. <laughs> guys uh the last 12 months have felt like 12 years um but it, it's been one year since the um tragic death of kobe bryant and his daughter gianna uh in a helicopter crash along with uh seven others uh it was a a passing that sent shockwaves not just to the basketball world but the world in general as uh people offer tributes to remember just a guy who was larger than life um Evan, you and I talked about this a year ago in the the week following his death. Uh, just what Kobe Bryant meant um, to, to not just to you, but uh, to, to everyone else as uh, tributes came in. Uh, everyone embracing the mama mentality at the time. You talked about how the mama mentality was bigger than basketball as well. That that was something anyone could embrace in what they were doing in life, be it their job, their hobby, their passions. Reflecting back on that a year later, uh, how have you seen the mama mentality kind of represented in the world? Man, I mean, you know, the mama mentality more than anything is, as you mentioned, living life to its fullest. But but even beyond that, that's, you know, if you're a basketball player, you're going to be the best basketball player there is. If you're, uh, you know, a husband, a wife, you know, you're going to be those best individuals at that, like what you do, you know, if if you're a clerk, whatever it might be, um, it's just it's just going 100 percent. And, 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 and leaving it all out there and, and knowing that you're, you're working the hardest uh, to, to whether it's do the right thing or to be the best individual you can be in whatever you're trying to do. Um, man, throughout this year, I think um, a lot of us have had to reflect um, a lot on our lives. And, you know, it all started, it all started with Kobe's death. Um, and I remember that day vividly um, and what was happening around the, the NBA and everything happening outside the Staples Center when the Spurs played the Raptors and taking the time off the clock. That was, that was a huge deal. Uh, we, we were there in the arena, uh, people looking up on their phones, trying to figure out if this real, like is, is this actually happening or are these reports fake? You know, the, the notion of whether games should be played or not and saying, you know, Kobe would want the games to be played just like right now, the family saying that, you know, people don't want tributes for Kobe. They just want people to, to remember the best, to celebrate his life and, and not mourn, mourn the loss. So, Thinking back to Greg Popovich consoling DeMar DeRozan on the bench before the game starts and that, that little pregame huddle probably lasted for like a minute. We know how much Kobe has meant to DeMar. Um, DeJounte Murray uh, just a couple of nights ago mentioned the Mamba mentality. He, he left the game against the Mavericks with an ankle injury, came back, got a triple-double the next game, 
and said that his ankle hurt. But he said that, you know, he asked, like, what would Kobe do? What, what's the mama mentality? And he said he'd play, that he, he wasn't hurt enough to miss a game, and he gutted through it. And, you know, just just classic to Jonte Murray getting a, a triple-double and doing something uh, that, that hasn't been done since 93-94, and that's having a spur have multiple triple-doubles in a game uh, during a season, and we're only 17 games into this year. So, yeah, it's just, you know, just kind of going back to everything, it's a whole reflective process. But again, it's, it's a remembrance of, of what Kobe has brought to, to all of us. And I think you're, you're seeing that with a lot of NBA players this past year, especially in the, the voices um, they're having as far as activism off the court what they've done in the bubble, the fact that these guys were able to manage months away from their, their loved ones, uh, for the most part, some of them were able to join them in the bubble eventually and, and find a way to get through last season, turn around quickly, get through this season, which has been a mess, 22 postponed games. You know, it doesn't have to ostensibly be the mama mentality but everybody in the NBA, all professional sports, every individual right now fighting through this pandemic and, and just making the most of it, that is the Mamba mentality. And, and, you know, just remembering all those, those great moments that Kobe provided on the court and the quotes that you're probably seeing today. Um, man, that, that, that's what it's all about. So it's, it, it's a sad day. They don't want it to be a sad day, the family, and I understand that. But, um, you know, you just can't help but wonder how much more um, those two and, and the others uh, who died in that, that helicopter crash. Just, it, it's just still a, a tremendous tragedy, and, you know, one will always remember where we were when it happened. Yeah, I... I remember where I was when, you know, my buddy called me that day. I I remember a lot about that specific time because it was just such an impactful moment. Um, and unfortunately, I'm a bit of an expert on loss myself, but one of the silver linings of that is you can empathize with other people going through it. And I had never seen so many people go through it like that. On, on the same day together. Um, it was profoundly sad. It's still profoundly sad. Um, I remember for weeks thinking, I'm never going to stop being sad about this. Uh, and a year later, I still am. Um, you know, especially the circumstances of it, right? It was families going to go somewhere to do something they loved with their kids. Um, and just not making it there. And, um, you know, just hits you about the fragility of life. Um, you know, how not a second is guaranteed to us. And um, I remember not being able to sleep one of those nights and going to the 24-hour fitness at like 4 a.m. to work on my turnaround. And I was not the only person there who was sad and doing the same thing. Um, so the, the scale of, of that loss and how it impacted people, um, you know, from the NBA to just around the world, 
um, I, th I think was, you know, really just a profound tragedy and, and made us all think and, and reflect. Um, and then to have that roll into this year where, you know, over 400,000 Americans have, have died of coronavirus, um, you know, and anytime a person loses their life, it's sad. And so, you know, I, I think that was, um, you know, some valuable, valuable perspective heading into a, a really difficult year. Um, and, you know, it's hard. It's, it's really hard. It's still hard. Um, but uh, I can tell you from experience that time sort of heals a little bit, makes it a little stronger, makes the, the sharp edges of the, of the bad stuff go away a little bit. Um, and a year out is, is still, you know, like I, I still remember it like it was yesterday, you know, but, um, anytime you lose someone, the further you get from the loss, the easier it is to look back around that loss and see all the good stuff before that. Um, so hopefully, uh, Kobe's family, um, healing today and, continuing to heal and everybody who who loved him and gg and everybody else um continuing to heal today yeah tom i think you, you made an excellent point that this past year we've had plenty of reminders on the fragility of life uh and kobe's death was no exception to that um this past year was also um uh, a year we saw a lot of voices raised uh championing causes for social justice and for social reform and racial justice and we saw nba players embrace that too and i was i was kind of thinking back about how he was a voice we would have heard this summer. You know, he would have been one of the leaders out there on the cause. He was a guy who championed uh, Colin, Colin Kaepernick's cause when uh, Kaepernick was uh, taking a stand against social justice and taking a knee um, uh, during the national anthem. And he was a guy who who not just supported him with his voice, but supported him with his money and was it was a cause he believed in. And um, we would have seen him out there next to DeMar DeRozan and Compton leading, uh, leading the marches. Um, and, and that's, and that's kind of a loss to that community, to, to that, to that cause there that he wasn't there, but plenty of people took up the torch for him. Um, we've got plenty of conversation on Kobe Bryant in an episode and we're, I'm going to append some of the, what Evan and I talked about last year. Uh, but just uh, as we look back on it, uh, I think the, the only last thing to say is, you know, Mamba forever. Um, he, he's a guy who, who's going to continue to inspire. Uh, he, he was the Jordan for a generation um, and, and just was a global voice and a global influence um, at a time when the NBA was turning global. So, uh, you know, you know that I hate you commercial that he did with Nike. I, I watched that this morning, started bawling, crying like a baby. I, I genuinely never thought that Kobe Bryant would make me this sad. Uh, and you know. I, I mean, for about six months last year, I had the Adidas. Um, oh no, it was the Sprite commercial. I'm sorry, the Sprite commercial with Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan and, and Missy Elliott yeah. on loop. Um, just uh, my name's Tim Slam Duncan. Um, just, just uh, what what a joy uh, those two. The rivalry between Duncan and Kobe were um, was to uh, to watch and enjoy. And uh, if you listen back to the clip I'm going to put here at the end of this podcast, uh, I, I got to live both sides of that that rivalry. Um, and uh, so, so there's more there. Um, the when Kobe Bryant died, I think Evan, you, you spoke to this. We were preparing for a Spurs game, and of course things shifted on a dime. And there's been a few instances in the last year when we've done that. Um, 
And, and yesterday was no exception. Yesterday we we started the day thinking we we're going to cover the Spurs playing the Pelicans. Um, and then the news broke about uh, two hours before game time that the game had been postponed um, due to the health, uh, league's safety and health protocols. Um, according to the NBA, um, there's contact tracing ongoing within both organizations. Neither the Spurs nor the Pelicans had the eight required players available for the contest yesterday. And then from there, we really haven't learned anything else official. There's been speculation and reports as to what went on. Uh, I've seen reports from ESPN saying that uh, both organizations had non-team members in their traveling parties um, who tested positive, and uh, contact tracing was just kind of uh, uh, ongoing from that from that stance. Uh, Evan, I think you summed it up on Twitter as um, just kind of a, 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 a it's best to play it safe in this situation. Uh, so, so is there anything else that we can shed light on this, uh, you know, this postponement, this postponement? So I think the most important thing is to remember that this was done out of an abundance of caution. I think when the news broke, here was the thing. We were roughly what, two hours away from game time. And you less have that, to right? remember. It was, it was like, like, it was like we less were, than we, an hour before tip. I well, thought. well, it was right before Popovich's, pre-game availability. So it was, right. it was, was it a seven thirty tip? It, it, it was an eight o'clock tip. So because okay. it, yeah. it got moved back an hour. Um, so what you have to remember for us um, on the media side, a, the team flies out to new Orleans. They just played the night before they're tested in the morning. Everything's a go. The injury report comes out. Only Derek white is on it. So you have Eubanks back. You have Quindary Weatherspoon back. Uh, no health and safety protocols are are mentioned uh, for either team. That is, the Pelicans go through pregame shoot around. They're excited to be back home after a long road trip. Both teams arrive at the arena ready to go for the game, and then it's canceled. So when you hear all that and you don't have any of the pieces, you immediately think that it's staff or someone not relating to the team. Um, originally I thought it might've been someone at the smoothie King center that somebody was, you know, uh, somebody that had an impact in both locker rooms because for both teams to go through contact tracing without essentially losing eight to nine guys. I mean, that's, that's what it meant to go below that threshold. I thought that maybe it was someone in the arena because we had no sniff of this. Uh, then we start hearing, Everything that, that Jackson mentioned, that it was somebody in the traveling party, sort of, you know, um, the traveling party, a non-staff member, a family member, had potential exposure, whatever it might be. Um, you know, the Spurs are back in San Antonio. Uh, by all accounts, the game against Boston is a go. Uh, it does seem like this was something where it was out of an abundance of caution, just to make sure, uh, to my knowledge at this point, no player has tested positive. Um, we will get an injury report. You know, it won't come out until later today. Um, but assuming that nobody's on the health and safety protocols, then we can assume that everybody is good to go uh, after passing a PCR test, which, you know, I'm sure has is, is already gone down. So, um, you know, and if that's the case, and, and, and if it is just a one-game sort of deal, let's play it safe, um, I don't think either team is complaining about not playing last night. Spurs have been, have been grinding. They, they've been playing uh, back-to-backs or every other day for pretty much the entire season outside, I think, the first week. 
Uh, the Pelicans just came off a six-game road trip where they have looked horrendous lately. And, you know, they're, they're beat up well, uh, you know, they're beat up too. So, um, honestly, both teams having a couple of days off, I'm sure they're not complaining as long as it doesn't create a, a waterfall effect, which is something we have seen from the Washington Wizards, which, you know, we'll, we'll get into that game and them returning after missing six matchups and what we're seeing right now with the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, I, I think that, as you said, abundance of caution, there's no, there's no way they had that many people, I think, test positive all at once, right? That, that simply doesn't happen. Um, so it had to be some exposure to pretty much at least half the team. Um, and you know, they, they, at the end of the day said, you know what, we'll, we'll just, we'll just punt this one. Everybody get back in your rooms, stay there. Uh, and you know, we'll, we'll figure this out. Um, smart thing to do. Obviously, if you're going to be doing the season, um, you have to do things like this and games will have to be canceled. This was Jackson, I believe you said last night, game number 22 in the NBA that has been canceled. Um, a bunch of those were for the Washington Wizards, who the Spurs played the night before flying out to New Orleans. Don't know if there's any uh, relation there, but, you know, contact tracing, right? They're, they're figuring out where where the exposure was and and who was exposed and who who's sick if anybody but you know but that's the risk of playing basketball and traveling during pretty much the peak of this pandemic in this country so um you know the virus is out there and it's you know if if you're traveling if you're in close contact with people outside of your household those are risk factors um the NBA hasn't made a move to get the players vaccinated yet. I think that might be coming. I think there will probably be backlash, especially if people around the country, uh, normal citizens, are struggling to get it. Um, but, you know, we saw them take up a whole bunch of resources using tests every day in Disney so they could play basketball. So, um, you know, there are a lot of incentives for the NBA to continue playing games and you know, getting games on TV and ad revenue and making money. Um, and they're going to try to do that as safely as possible. Um, so th I think the postponement, Evan, you, you hit the nail on the head. I don't think either of these teams is super bummed that they didn't get to play last night. I know they're all competitors, uh, but the schedule has been grueling. Um, you know, for the Spurs, not just the opponents, but the every day, you know, you're here, you're traveling, you're playing, you're playing, you're playing. You get one day off to rest your body a little bit. Um, and they were about to play f five games in seven nights. Um, so, yeah, I think I think they'll take the day off and, and be just fine chilling at home. Um, but, you know... It, it is it is a question of how sustainable this is. We got the schedule going uh, through early March, right? So basically we got five weeks that the league needs to get through uh, and then they can figure out the second half schedule. Um, now that they're getting like within a month, I can't see them pulling the plug on it now. 
they've already canceled 22 games. There have already already been, you know, pretty significant issues. They're 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 going ahead. Um, so, you know, if if that's the case, you got to take every precaution as you go. <laughs> and uh, that was what we saw last night. Yeah, it's been pervasive throughout the league. Going into Monday, the Spurs were just one of seven teams who'd avoided a postponement. Uh, So now that counts down to six. Uh, It's a league-wide issue, as you said, Tom. Um, And yeah, I I think as long they're going to try what they can to do, try to do what they can to get to March 5th. Uh, and figure it out from there. Um, there's there's been no kind of hint at what this means for the the rest of the week for the Spurs. Uh, it seems business as usual uh, heading into Boston, and we don't uh, yet have a date when they're going to try to reschedule the Pelicans. But when we do, you can of course find that on Kins Five and Kins Five dot com. Uh, guys, uh, taking a look back at the three games we saw played uh, since we last talked, uh, the Spurs went one and two down that stretch versus Golden State, versus Dallas, and versus uh, the Washington Wizards. Um, Tom, what was your biggest takeaway from the game? I think, to me, looking at it, it was it was shooting. You know, we saw this team shoot their worst and their best. Talking about 12% from three versus Golden State and 48% from three versus Washington. Uh, how does a team like the Spurs go through a swing like that in, in the span of a week? For me, the thing that jumped out was the pick-and-roll defense, and I think it's related to the shooting, um, and I'll tell you why. Spurs played against three of the best shooting point guards, you know, shot-creating point guards in the league in Steph, Dame, and Luka. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge at this stage in his career plays a drop coverage in pick-and-roll, right? That's pretty much all he can do. He doesn't have the speed to come out and hedge and recover. If he doubles or switches and then he's out on the perimeter, he's cooked. Um, (laughs) So the only good way to play LaMarcus Aldridge in the pick and roll is to drop him into the paint where he can cover both the drive and the roll. Um, If you have a floor spacing big man like Kristaps Porzingis and, you know, a floor spacing guard, uh, that's a tough matchup for him. But, and we saw that against the Warriors, against the Blazers to an extent, and against the the Mavs. Um, if you're playing against a guard like Russell Westbrook, who has never shot above 30% in his career from three, drop coverage works great. I think, I think Russ shot like three of 11 in that game. Um, and, you know, it's, it's all about how the guards play it. If the guy can shoot, you go over the screen. If he can, you go under. Um... But the guard has to be aggressive, especially if the guy's a shooter. Uh, and so we, we saw a little bit of LaMarcus Aldridge's weakness exploited in that Golden State game. So every trip down, the, the Warriors are getting good shots, and then the Spurs are coming back against a set defense, right? We, I, I talk about this a lot, but it's you know the cyclical nature of a basketball game, right? It builds on itself. And so... We've seen in the past two games the Spurs go on really big runs. Um, you know, in the fourth quarter, there was a 14-2 to run that came up just short in that Mavs game, and then there was a 15-1 to run that buried Washington in the fourth in that game. And it's something Patty's talked about, Pop, DeJounte, everybody has talked about when they lock in on defense and are able to force tough shots... And, and get stops and string them together, then they can attack in transition. 
and that's where this team is really really great um so for for me uh the spurs really need to tighten up their half court defense because they get so much out of that when they're locked in on that end um the shooting variance is going to come right like we're, we're 17 games into the season i feel like i've already asked everybody on this team every question i can ask them about shooting variance and they're like yeah i mean shots are gonna fall they're gonna they're gonna not fall we just got to be pros and continue attacking and continue what we're doing and keep trusting ourselves and each other that's it like you know as far as far as getting those shots goes i think the spurs have done a pretty good job on offense creating them um you know the the big thing for me in terms of you know why they win or lose games has been can they get stops on defense yeah and and let me just say this you know when the spurs shoot an effective field goal percentage of 39.4 against the warriors and and what were they not going to win the game four of 33 from deep whatever it was i mean you know and they were good shots they were great yeah, shots, I, a lot of them. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. But I do think that that Warriors game was probably the the first and maybe the only time this season where I thought the offense pressed into some bad shots. Usually the Spurs are missing shots, and they're just missing shots. But we like what we see. We like the offense. We like what they're doing. That Warriors game, they just didn't look like they understood what they were going to do to get clean looks. And it's a bit confusing because the Warriors starting unit is one of the worst out there, at least from a plus minus perspective. They, I mean, they're horrendous. Uh, they get torched by almost every other team. And that day, uh, and maybe it was the Oakland uniforms that got them going because I know that, that Steph was, you know, that was the narrative that they had out there in the Bay. Uh, bringing those uniforms back, and they were pumped to play. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of what Tom said. Um, they also, I think, in that game is where I'm starting to notice a lot of drives are kind of leading to nowhere. I think teams are now crowding the paint, daring them to shoot threes. And we're seeing it with DeMar and Keldon. Uh, a little bit more Keldon, but but Demar certainly press is, is pressing a little bit more offensively, trying to, you know, usually he's very patient, but I think he's trying to get his shots at the rim now. Um, teams are, are are building walls in the paint, and the shots are not as easy as they once were. And I think this, I think the Spurs need to start exploiting the the threes and the long range jumpers, the pick and pop with Lamarcus was just there all day against the Blazers, and they crushed them with it. That is still there. That is still very much there whenever they want to go to it. And they just haven't. They just haven't chosen. I mean, occasionally they do, but they tried to tinker with different things these last few games. I don't know. I, to me, to me that, seems, that has been LaMarcus's money shot through the, the good and bad of this season of him shooting. He has drilled the long mid-range jumper. So – you know, offensively speaking, awful night. I thought that the Warriors played an excellent game and missing a bunch of shots also put the Spurs in a really bad position in transition. You know, LaMarcus couldn't get his butt back. Then that meant you had like the Jante down low against Wiseman. He had, a you know, a couple of easy, easy dunks. And then, yeah, on the, 
on the pick and rolls, it was just like Steph Curry just absolutely confused San Antonio. They had no idea what to do with Steph. Like LaMarcus would jump, would try to, you know, get on Steph and block a shot. And then Steph just dishes it at the last second and boom, dunk. And then there'd be times where LaMarcus would say, okay, I'm not going to fall for it this time. And he would just stay on his guy and then Steph would just put in an easy layup. Like Steph put LaMarcus on a, was, a pick and roll masterclass. It, like, was, it was insane. Like, it, like if you, it, if you say clinic, it's not a clinic because you can't teach what he does to kids. Like you can't teach what he does to all but like three or four other human beings on the planet. He the way he kept his dribble alive on on that high pick because like there were times when Aldridge was like, okay, that was a good screen set by James Wiseman, the number two pick, and now Steph Curry has an open three. If I don't step up, he steps up. Okay, now what? Now the yeah. entire defense is screwed. Yeah, completely. And and it, it, still the one play that stands out to me was Steph going around, I think it was a double screen. LaMarcus comes up on him. DJ's right there on him. They both build up a wall. And then he whips <laughs> he whips the pass through this window to the other side of the court for an open three-pointer that's drilled. It was like, like, and people probably like, oh, LaMarcus, it's like, I, I don't know what you're supposed to do there. Like, that is just a, yeah. a Hall of Fame player making a Hall of Fame pass. I was, I was just completely wild. Yeah. I, so I asked like, LaMarcus about, you know, guarding these guys in pick and roll. He was like, yeah, it's tough. It's yeah. Like, I don't know what you else know, you can say. They're, yeah, they're, they're some of the NBA's best players for a reason. And, and honestly, for me as a basketball fan, um, it was fun to watch Steph. I'm not going to lie. I mean, like, yeah. you know, Spurs, the Spurs got blown out, but, like, Steph put on such a wonderful display of basketball. I was like, this is dope. This is so much and fun like, to watch. This is well, like watching the old school Warriors again. We need to talk about Wiseman and, and how, like, Steph's gravity out at the perimeter and then Wiseman's gravity at the rim rips. It's it's like that scene in, in the Spider-Man when Tobey <laughs> Maguire's like, <laughs> like it's, it's just tough. Like, and yeah. then you have Draymond Green, who is an elite short roll passer, is an elite passer in general, elite floor spacer, like floor general. Uh, I, I saw people freak out because the, the Warriors lost to the Knicks, uh, the next and, night or whatever. And, and, and it was like Draymond out. got ejected in the second quarter for yelling at yeah. his own teammate. Yeah. Who cares? Also, yeah. like the, the the Knicks actually have a whole bunch of big athletic bodies that they can throw at Wiseman. Um, yeah, and the Spurs don't have that. And they, uh, you could see that through Golden State. I think the first three baskets went to Wiseman to start the game. They were going to do what they could to get him going, and LaMarcus Aldridge was not the defensive answer for him. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. And, and I wanted to say, because I, I think LaMarcus Aldridge is an, an important topic to talk about right now, especially for Spurs fans. He got the big old fat target on his back. Um, you know, Brennan Marco are gone, so who's got to take the punishment now? Um so with LaMarcus Aldridge, I just want to explain that day, game in and game out, one thing is going to be consistent, and the defense isn't going to be great. I, like, I don't know what else to tell you. When LaMarcus Aldridge is on the court, the defense is not going to be otherworldly. Just not. You hope, you hope that he performs like he did against the Mavericks, let's say. Um, even, even last night in the second half against the Wizards, when he is providing that offensive output, he is a positive net player. That means you are putting up a lot of points and you are giving up a lot of points. It is not going to be a defensive battle like you're used to when the second unit comes in. 
or when Jakob Pertl comes in for LaMarcus. That is more even. When Jakob comes in, it's a totally different game plan. Offense is not going to be as electric, but you're going to get more stops, which creates a bigger disparity. And Aldridge's when, buckets aren't just for him, right? Like, when he's correct. spacing the floor in his way, yeah. he, if it's to the arc or if it's to 19 feet, it makes the it pulls the defense out to him, pulls the rim protector out to him, opens things up for all of these other guys on the team who much prefer running to the rim. And so, you know, even if he's not hitting shots, the spacing that he provides is helpful on offense. And, and that's why I think the last, especially that Golden State game, um, it was a bit confusing coming off that Blazers game where the Spurs utilized. Uh, you know, teams are are not giving LaMarcus any respect still. They really aren't. And if you go back to even the Wizards game last night, teams are following, like, let's say that DeMar is coming off a LaMarcus pick, all right? Teams are following DeMar. So that means whoever has DeMar is following him to the basket. And then let's say last night was Robin Lopez. He is also following DeMar to the basket. And DeMar can take that dribble deep enough to where LaMarcus is on a damn island. And that money... That, 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 that money shot that he has this season, that he's always had, but, but especially this season that's working for him, is wide open. But if, when watching the Golden State game, they were sending LaMarcus to the rim or, or pushing him outside, and it made Wiseman's job so much easier because he had an eye on LaMarcus, didn't even have to worry about it. He can easily recover. It was like, why are you not, draw, why are you not using the spacing that LaMarcus provides? So, you know, I get it. To play that offense, to, to continually just go through LaMarcus is not going to excite anybody. And you don't want to run every single play that way. Totally understand that. I liked what they did getting LaMarcus going from three-point range against the Mavericks. They sent him to the corner. Uh, you know, Maverick, he hit a three-pointer in the corner uh, against the Wizards. He hit it on the opposite side of the court. Also from the corner. I like that. It seems like that can help him get his rhythm going. My, uh, my favorite well. part of how he got all of those threes was it was it was like three or four different ways. Like he spaced mm-hmm. to the corner for one. He trailed the break for another. And then another one was pick – another two, I think, were pick and pop. Yeah. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> he can get it a bunch of different ways. Um, I think you're absolutely right about the, the drivers drawing the defense in and then, you know, getting it out to him. I think – uh, DeMar's been fantastic at, at that DeJounte also like one, one of the like really nuanced little point guard things that DeJounte has gotten fantastic at is you know coming off that screen taking a hang dribble, dribble occupy, like letting both of those defenders shift over to him taking another dribble or two and then, and then you know behind the back whatever to LaMarcus and he's wide open at, at, at his spot mm-hmm. um and you know we've we've talked about this on the show before, but it's it's for the most part not post ups with Lamarcus. If he has a mismatch, he's going to go for it, but he's not gumming up the offense like that anymore. It's yeah. it's very fluid for for these guys. So and 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 I just want to say I'm not saying that Lamarcus Aldridge is a perfect player. I'm not defending Lamarcus Aldridge, you know, for for all of his his weaknesses. I'm just, I'm just saying that there are strengths. That's the only thing I'm saying is that I understand the frustrations. But you like people like you can't play defense. I hear you, but you can't just shine a spotlight on one area where he stinks and not equally shine the spotlight on an area where he's very good and where he's also helping his teammates to which doesn't necessarily show up in the box score all the time. It's just it's 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 cherry picking your narrative. 
you can say that his defensive woes don't, you know, are, are worse than his offensive gains. We can debate that. And, and I'm okay to have that debate. But you just saying LaMarcus stinks at defense is like saying the sky is blue. I get it, you know? But I think it's a little reductive, though, because his rim protection, like when he plays a drop against a guy that can't really shoot, it's fine. But you don't want to have to rely on the other guy's initiator not being able to shoot, you know? Yeah. Like there, there are places where he can still be effective on defense, but he's definitely taken a step back there. And and the rebounding has been a concern as well. that's my yeah. To me, that's that's my biggest complaint with Lamarcus. It's not even the defense. It's the defensive rebounding. Like, dude, the fact that like Dejounte and Keldon in that starting rotation are the main engine for rebounding is a problem. Right. Like that's you know that's essentially like uh you know in in the real life in the real world where people above you are doing less work and are making more money while the youngs. Uh, and the youngins are doing all the hard work and making less. You know, it's like, dude, you're, you're 6'10", you're 7 feet. Get, like, get a few more rebounds. Uh, like, and he's I right there. Get, he's, like, in position. And he's just like... I want to get Jackson in here, but I think part of it with LaMarcus is when he, when he's playing defense the way he does, he, he doesn't have a second jump, really. So mm-hmm. so he's he's con- if he's contesting a shot at the rim... He's most likely not getting that rebound, and the, I think the guards have done a good job of crashing in, um, mm-hmm. and and the Spurs have done a pretty good job of team rebounding. They still need to clean up some of it. But Jackson, uh, what are what are your thoughts on the the totality of Lamarcus right now? Look over the if he's going to perform the way he did over the last two games, he's a guy you want out there on the court, not just in what he provides in spacing, but I mean he shot fifty three percent from uh, the field against the uh, Wizards, and he shot sixty one percent against the the Mavericks. And when the three pointers falling, and I know he starts four for four, it went zero for three the rest of the game, but he's an effective guy to have out there. I, I'm a big proponent. I, I love the team rebounding. I, I like it when DeJounte is the guy cleaning up the glass because it means you can push, right? It's the team that wants to be in the transition. Oh, it's it's what the Thunder always did with Westbrook, right? He gets the rebound and he's sprinting up the court. Uh, so I don't mind it at all. If they're going to rely, uh, let, let LaMarcus use his first jump, his only jump uh, on defense, uh, on, on you know, trying to protect the shot, uh, stop the shot. You've got a guy like DeJounte or Kelton who could push the floor. Um, I, I want to jump back real quick to something Evan Evan brought up. You know, on a night against Golden State when Steph Curry is cooking and the defense doesn't have an answer for him, we saw Popovich switch to the box and one. And Tom, you did a great breakdown of the box and one, uh, and, and that kind of limited Steph Curry's efforts uh, on the offensive end. Of course, the the Spurs offense wasn't there to kind of bring them back into the game. Uh, I, why didn't we see something similar to that against Dallas when, when Luke is going off? Why why isn't the box and one effective against the Mavericks? I think we kind of so <clears throat> we kind of did see something similar, um, but not in the way, not in the scheme, right? Um, so so the Spurs typically play man defense, like I said, drop pick and rolls. Um, against a guy like Steph, that's tough. That's tough to make work for the reasons we discussed earlier. So what you do is you stick one defender on Steph Curry. Uh, man-to-man, and then you have the four other guys basically play zone defense. So if Steph comes into their zone, they're harassing him. Um, it's a way of playing five-on-one almost. You're ignoring, mm-hmm. or, or you're basically ignoring the other players on the court. So they'll get open shots, 
and and Steph will find him. But when you play the box and one against a guy like Steph, you're saying we're we are fine with anybody except this guy beating us, right? We want to we want to force the ball out of his hands. And <clears throat> in the in the Mavericks game, the Spurs did something similar, but not by switching up the scheme. They did it with personnel. Uh, and, you know, I, this is another thing that I, I wrote about was the patty trap, right? And we've seen it before. Um, Pop stuck Patty Mills on Luka Doncic down the stretch in this game. And Spurs fans who have watched a little bit of Spurs basketball were watching at home like, what did, why? Why is that happening? Here's why. Because it's a mismatch, not a good one for the Spurs. So everybody on the court knows... We got to help Patty. We got to help Patty out. So it has the similar effect of the box and one where one guy's locked in on, on the guy and Patty for his size limitations is a pest on the ball. You know, he'll, he'll make it difficult to, to get your handle. He'll be up in your Jersey. Um, but you have the other four guys focused on help. And that's a mental thing with this Spurs team, right? You know, the, that's, I think it's a way of pop, sort of, you know, putting them in a situation where they have to think about it a little more. Um, and, and they have, they know they have to be more active. So, you know, it, maybe it's, 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 uh, it's a jump start for the Spurs, but it's also a trap for the other team, right? Because Luca sees that mismatch. He's like, oh, I'm eaten. Like anything less than a layup for him on a possession is a, a failure. So he gets that in his head drives and then all of a sudden three bodies high hands and he's like oh okay i gotta pass it out and everybody else on the maps is like oh luke is eating i'm i'm just gonna stand here if the, if the ball comes to me I, oh ball's coming to me ah uh. and you know the the maps got a lot of open shots from other guys down the stretch in that game but they didn't hit them and you know the spurs were fine with that because they were like luke is cooking us right now anybody other than him and so they found a different way to force the ball out of his hands, which I, I thought was really interesting. And, and I want to also mention this about Luca. So, so going off the Golden State game to the Dallas game, right, where, where the Spurs play like crap, let's just be honest. They, they play like crap against Golden State, and a lot of it, you give the credit to Golden State, but offensively speaking, they couldn't shoot the ball. Defensively speaking, it was weak. So then they go into the Dallas game, and, and the Mavericks can't miss. And the, the natural inclination is, oh, here we go again. The Spurs, they don't know what they're doing. They think if you watch that, like, first half back, um, there were a couple of bad stretches. But for the most part, they played pretty well. Like, if you watch Luka, I mean, there was one three-pointer that Luka just does, like, a step-back three-pointer on Devin Vassell. Vassell's all up in his, his jersey. And just and just whaps it, and you you know again you got to remember that Luka Doncic is a is a future MVP one day in the NBA. And it's and not like he, he was did, lights out either. He shot under fifty percent, no, three of ten from 12. the. Yeah, I think he was four he, he was, deep. Yeah, he, yeah, it, it was like it was a volume night for him. And the Spurs did a, a same thing with Dame. They did a decent job keeping him in check, and he still had like thirty five. But yeah. like you know, they did what they could. And that was the thing is overall the Mavericks. The percentages weren't quite there. The problem was in that Mavericks game that Dallas in the first half was just so hot. They were able to balloon a lead, and they were able to just hold it off. And, you know, and not to mention, 
You don't have DeJounte Murray in that game. You mentioned Patty Mills. He played 37 minutes with a plus 14. I mean, it was a, it was a valiant effort from Patty, you know? Like, it's pretty rough when you don't have Derek White, DeJounte Murray, Quindary Weatherspoon, and you throw in Trey Jones, who played like two or three minutes and looked awful, you know? And, he, and, and Pop pulled the plug immediately. You know, that, that little tiny stretch they had in the second quarter where they hit three and one, three, three. Um, you know, Trey Jones was, was a, a reason for a couple of those. You know, the, the Brunson and one, Trey Jones got all excited and pressed him way up the court. And, and, and Brunson just blew right by him. And that created a foul. And it was a very nice finish by him. Um, there was another one where Trey Jones and DeMar DeRozan uh, DeMar essentially picks Trey Jones. I don't, I don't know necessarily who was at fault there, but Trey was trying to follow his guy and DeMar is staying on Porzingis and they both run into each other, which led to an open three. So um, that was, a, you know, you hope that you see Trey Jones come in. You can speak highly of him. It just, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great stint there uh, for him. And I, and I think it had mostly to do with him just being way too excited and, and trying to do too much versus just, relaxing and, and, and playing his game. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I didn't see anything outside of that, that stint uh, where they gave up all those three pointers um, in the second quarter, you know, the Spurs defense was, was pretty good. And, and sadly they, they wasted a great offensive night. Um, you know, they, they finished with a, a 115.8 points per possession that's um, the first loss that they've taken this season when they've been above 110 in points per points per 100 possessions. First loss all season. So usually those are games you win. Obviously, um, you know, 120.8 points per possession is is bad, and uh, you know Dallas had an effective field goal percentage of 56. But yeah, I just think that um, you know overall that Mavericks game was Dallas getting hot um the spurs not staying locked in once the got off the court in that first half and in the second half they recalibrated and almost pulled off a wonderful comeback um you know i think the game would have been different if demar finishes that layup uh to make it a six-point game with with you know a handful of time left but he misses the the, the layup which he makes nine times out of ten and then tim hardaway got the layup on the opposite end so instead of being a six-point game, it was a 10-point game. And it was a bit deflating. You were able to get it down to two. Uh, you were able to get it down to one. And then you just couldn't get, you couldn't get the final stop. And, you know, people complained about LaMarcus in that stretch. But as you mentioned, they were playing the same defense. And, you know, Dallas was able to get LaMarcus in a one-on-one matchup with Doncic. And Doncic made easy work of him. And, you know, that's – you know, they, they, get paid, they get paid the big bucks as well over there to come up with plays to make sure that he can get LaMarcus on an island. And, you know, they did, it, they did a great job for a long stint there. And it just, you know, it, it just happened. And the three-pointer by Brunson at the end was just DeMar, you know, overhelping. And I don't know if you can blame him with, with Luka driving, but, he, you know, he left his guy and there was the game. So... I, I do want to talk about DeMar's help defense because a lot of times he uh-huh. makes digs off ball that are just completely ineffective. You know, like he's he's in the area, but he's not doing anything yeah. except losing his man. Um, yep. And 
you know, that honest, like I see Patty do that. Um, Patty's okay. off ball defense is weirdly bad for a veteran of his caliber with, with his, you know, game knowledge. Like he, he should understand how defenses are trying to lose him. And, you know, they're, they're and, and it's not just the old guys. Like, I see, I see Keldon get lost off ball sometimes a, a little, a little more often than, than I'd like. Um, you know, he's got the body, he's got the physical tools. He's been kind of rough in pick and roll coverage. He's been kind of rough off ball. Um, you know, put put him ISO against LeBron and he's, he's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. but you know, it's, it's the mental aspects that, that are, are still coming and Um, you know, uh, I think they're working on that as a team, um, but you know, some guys are naturals at it, and and some guys it takes some time. Yeah, I, I don't want to overlook either the uh, the Dejounte Murray injury from the perspective that we, we talk a lot about. Um, you know, the, how the second unit for the Spurs is is kind of the key behind it, right? They they get in and and they can uh, overpower the other team's second unit, and they they just got out of whack in the Dallas game. We saw the opposite in the Wizards game, right? Dejounte's back. And they get a total team effort. Not a single the one spur plays over thirty minutes in that game, and it's Dejounte thirty and a half minutes. Um, mm-hmm. But you look down the rest of it. You know, I think Lamarcus was twenty four minutes, Keldon twenty eight, uh, Demar twenty seven, and then Patty leads the way with twenty one points in twenty minutes in that game. Um, when they can get into the rhythm, do the things they want to do, and, and play team basketball, I think this team thrives, and we saw that against Washington. Uh, one guy who really thrived in Washington uh, against the Washington Wizards was Devin Vassell, um, who I think played probably his best game as a spur. Um, it was. Four for six from three. Um, this, does Devin need more playing time, and, and does it come at the risk of maybe playing a guy like Kellen Johnson less? Um, uh, and we've seen defenses adjust. I, you know, I- yeah, I'm, I don't know about if – I mean, ideally, yes, Devin would have more time and maybe you can sneak him into a late rotation at the end, like to close games or something. You know, my, my big debate and, – and, you know, I just want to get out of the way. He's, he's an absolutely disruptive defender. His health defense is phenomenal. He's got these lanky robotic arms that are made to just completely give, uh, up, you know, offensive players hell. And uh, he's just so dang smart. Like, he understands where he needs to be. He understands who's in a bad matchup and where he has to help out. Um, He's a problem. He's a big defensive problem. Now, on the opposite end, he's proven that he can hit three-pointers. You know, right now, he is a tremendous 3 and D player. When he gets within the arc, he hasn't quite shown us much. You know, he's gotten some good looks. He just hasn't finished. So, uh, you know, over time, that's going to develop and it's going to make him a, an, an awesome player. But the guy that we're seeing right now is great. And, you know, I posted a question uh, in our chat. Like, and I, I said it on Twitter, too. And it's a bit of a half-baked thought. But I'm just wondering if Vassell in the starting lineup is a bit better of a matchup uh, with the personnel over Keldon Johnson. Uh, and and the the negative I'll let I'll let Tom point out the the negative to that which I agree on by the way but my thought process is Keldon and Demar um, soak up usage and so does Lamarcus and so does Dejounte you have four guys who who need the rock a ton you know part of the reason why Lonnie gets lost in the offensive scheme of things is because 
You know, there's not enough balls to go around. Uh, he just he's he's fifth wheeling. Um, he's playing the toughest defensive matchup, and he's just kind of the fifth option offensively, which doesn't seem right for a guy who shoots the ball as well as he does from three. So let's take Keldon out. Let's throw Devin in. Let's just say, offensively speaking, now you have Demar as our sole initiator um, driving to the rim. That allows you to have Lamarcus facing the floor. It has Lonnie on the other side. You have Devin on the other side. Um, and you still have DeJounte, who will run his set and, and still soak up usage as well. But now, instead of having four guys soak up usage, you have three guys having a couple of really good three-point options at your disposal who don't necessarily need the ball a lot to, to, you know, to, to shine light on their offensive game. And, and I think Lonnie has untapped potential offensively speaking, but right now he's a three and D guy. He just doesn't finish well at the rim um, in transition. It's, it's hit or miss. Uh, his, his percentages at the rim are just really down. They're, they're worse than they were last year. So um, if we're just being honest right now, what both people can do, they can space the floor. Now, defensively speaking, I'll, I'll let um, Tom talk that matchup, but at least I think Devin can hold his own and provide better help defense, which might help. And then in the second unit, you get Keldon soaking up more usage, but he's just going to take away usage from Rudy and Patty, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think Patty still can get his three-point shots anyway. So you're really probably just taking away from Rudy and is that the worst thing in the world? Yeah, no, not not <laughs> the worst thing in the world. Uh, his usage has been a bit high this year. I, I think the big problem with Vassell for Keldon on defense is Keldon's big body. You know? Like, at the end of the day, if, if he's going to be playing the power forward pretty much, you know, undersized, but six 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 seven pretty jacked and then you go to go to somebody lankier um you know are you gonna play demar at the four it's it, it would have to be a a matchup against a small team right um mm -hmm. and what we've seen from these spurs is that they don't really like to tinker with their starting lineup based on what other teams do they run what they run and if it wins it wins if it doesn't it doesn't um, but you know, they, and there are adjustments in the game, of course, but talking starting lineup specifically, um, I think you're right that Lonnie has been in a limited role here. And, you know, that's something we've talked about before with bringing Derek White back in the, in the fold. I think Lonnie moves to the bench as a more featured initiator. Um, and that's a better role for him. Um, He's, he's done well playing defense this year. He's spaced the floor well. Um, he's he's dangerous slashing. He just needs to, to up that percentage. But, um, you know, if you would put Vassell as starting shooting guard, that could potentially, you know, keep Keldon in there, let Lonnie get more free range, keep the defense at that position, keep the floor spacing at the position. Um, you know, obviously we're still waiting for Derek White to come back, but... I want to, I'm not advocating for that. You know, I, I think that, you know, after every game, no matter how it goes, somebody has to have like a, you know, there, there has to be some change that gets made based on this, you know? And, you know, I understand sports fans doing that. I understand people like us doing that. 
Um, but the, at the end of the day, this team for decades have just been, you know, we're going to keep hitting the same rock in the same spot. And, and, you know, one day it'll split open, you know, that that's not the kind of team that's going to be like, Oh, we need Alex Len. <clears throat> like, like they're, they're not, they're not going to go do that. You know, the, yeah. it's the, it's a, uh, a team that very much trusts their own process. Um, and, and I will say this, that, that of course is the case. You know, we know that. We know that because they kept starting Brent Forbes last year. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know? Uh, You're bad. So, so I'm just saying, it's like, I mean, there's no more obvious switch to make than that. Um, it's no shade to Brent. He's doing a great job in Milwaukee. Why? It's a way better role for him. Way better role. Just, you know, he works there. Um, but my, my point being is if, if they were a team that were going to make switches, uh, you know, I, I think it's something worth entertaining, um, at least while Derek White is, is not in the picture. Um, and when Derek White comes back, um, that is going to help the defense, which is important because um, – and, and my, my other point to Vassell is like, yeah, the defense might be great, but it's not great right now. So, like, I don't know how much worse it can be. I mean, they're giving up 120 points per possession per 100 possessions. So, you know, it's bad. It's bad, and the offense is going down. I, you know, it's a slippery slope. I think that will get better. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a thought bubble. Just uh, just something I, I've been thinking of. Really impressed with with how this cell has looked. Um, and, and again, we said it before. I, I don't know if he's got superstar potential, but damn, he just seems like a really, really, really good basketball player. Which is what we knew coming in um, on draft night. We said he was one of the most NBA ready draft prospects and he's proven it. Um, you know, he's yeah. not like Lamella ball out here who I, or, I or Tyrese Halliburton, Ty- Tyrese <laughs> Halliburton, my boy looking great. Um, but I mean, Vassell to me is, is a top five rookie uh, performance wise this season. You know, I, maybe people on the outside looking in won't say that, but if you watch Devin Vassell and what he does for the San Antonio and that second rotation, he's, he's been lights out. Yeah, there are like two NBA draft nerds who just like love Devin Vassell and they're the coolest people on NBA Twitter. So like that tells you all you need to know about his appeal. You know, like you know, there there are not going to be a whole lot of national media types who are like, oh yeah, check out this this rookie coming off the bench for the Spurs and like this this really good uh, defense. Although I, I did see John Hollinger po- point out some mm-hmm. excellent nail defense. Uh, mm-hmm. by him like you know it's it's for it's for the the nuanced fan and he has so many nuances to his game that you like you really don't expect from a 20 year old I, I said he was 19 he's he's Jason Tatum 19 forever in my mind uh you know like like that's end of the day he's a kid you know and yeah. and his his instincts are so great but it's not instinctual you know it's it's he he just knows the book and and he knows exactly what he needs to do um and you know a, a player a player of his caliber to fall into the spurs lap at 11 um you know couldn't couldn't ask for much more yeah he's smart and i think that's why the organization likes him i mean he's a guy who at his age right now 22 assists 22 steals only three turnovers uh, only, only fouled 19 times. He's got 22 steals in 19. T- he's not a reacher. He's not in there trying to reach in and, and do something silly that that's going to cause a turnover on the other end. But 
smart guy. Forty one percent from threes as well. So he was putting up numbers like that in college too. That just made you say, "Damn!" Like yeah, he yeah. I mean, He's is there room for effective? Is there room for improvement? Sure. He, is he shooting 37 from the field? Uh, yeah, that's not good. But uh, he, he we're, we're and it's mostly his two pointers, by the way. Yeah. You know, like that's what I'm saying is, um, you know, I have to I have to check his his three point numbers quickly. Forty one percent from three. Here. He's seventeen for forty one. He's, he's shooting four. He's shooting forty two percent on three pointers. He's seventeen of forty. That's excluding uh, heaves and all random garbage stuff. Yeah. So he's 42% from three. He's uh, he's 45% from non-corner threes. He's 39% from corner threes. Just a great three-point shooter. Um, at the rim, he's actually uh, he's 8 of 14, so that's not bad. It's just on his mid-range jumpers, he's 4 of 22. Hmm. That's, that's, the, uh, that's, that's the weakness of his. So, and and those shots mean, haven't looked too bad either. Like they've been open his shots. Form it's, it's, on he's him? like yeah. he's just missing it on the front. Like he's either hitting it like on the front of the rim. He's just a little bit off. It's just a little bit off. And the minute the minute that that can become part of his arsenal, where you know teams are going to start pressing on him on three, pump fake, dribble, hit that, dangerous. And he can finish dangerous. strong at the rim too. Like he's he's got a plus wingspan and he likes dunking it. Like if if he gets he, in tight, he can dunk it. He's been he's been this close on a thunderous dunk, like on three different occasions where it's like he's trying to posterize somebody. He's right, gonna get and the, one of these days. And when he and when he does, people are gonna be like, "Oh wait, I didn't know he had that." And it's like, "Well, he yeah. does." Yeah. Um, it, you know, and that's and that's a big thing we said also entering the year. Like Devin Vassell is gonna need a couple of years to bulk up. You know, we saw. I mean, we we're seeing such great strides with Kelvin Johnson. The dude is yoked. And that was just one year. I mean, look at the, look at what he was on draft night compared to what he's looking like now. It's holy smoke. So I don't think that Devin Vassell's frame is built to be like what Keldon is. Keldon's more stockier. But, um, you know, definitely he needs more strength in his chest and, and you know, um, probably his legs as well. I'm probably not supposed to tell you guys this, but deep in the bowels of the HEB Center in Cedar Park, they have that, like... Uh, cryo chamber that they put Captain America in, um, and uh, I did see Keldon go in that room. I'm not sure what happened after. But, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, he's huge. You might not have seen what happened in there, but you definitely saw him uh, on, on Instagram the, this week dancing in the locker room, showing off that big body. Um, oh, we back. <laughs> I, I just worried that down the, the line we, we may see uh, an article written with the headline, you know, the Mustang is a one-trick pony. You know, it, it'd be nice to see him add a few things to the game here is, is all I'm saying. Uh, the the, the, the kind of compliment what he does with the starting five uh, for Kelton Johnson. I, I like that he has been kind of a defensive rebound machine. Uh, we talked about, you know, picking up the slack where LaMarcus is. Um, but, you know, this is a team that it's only mildly infuriating they don't tinker because they've got the the talent to to maybe do that, to, to do some uh, rotational situational adjustments. But at the same time, I'm not going to act like I know more about basketball than the Spurs front office or Coach Pop. No, I, I, just, I get it. I mean, yeah. in the playoffs, I think you might, you know, in the playoffs you might get something different, right? Like if you're playing yeah. a smaller team, maybe at that point you're going to play situationally and say, all right, you know, Whatever, but um, yeah, and, and you mentioned Kelvin Johnson, phenomenal young talent. Definitely, um, you know, the biggest thing is he just needs to know when to take the blinders off of driving. I think he gets in his head. I'm going to drive the ball. That's it. Like he, he gets the ball, he's like, I'm going, 
and doesn't, you know, like it happened, especially in that Warriors game, he had a terrible matchup. And what I was just, a lot of shots were fine and they just didn't go in. But there were some other times where the Warriors were just like chilling there. There's like three guys in the paint, like he's coming and he's got a wide open shooter uh, for three. One of them was Devin Vassell. I pointed out on Twitter and all he had to do was take a dribble dish, dribble dish. And it was there and he was going right into two dudes. And it was a missed shot. So I think, you know, he just has to pick his spots better. And that's what he's learning. Rudy Gay, uh, after, uh, I think it was after the Mavericks game, which, by the way, uh, I think that was arguably one of Keldon's best performances, that Mavericks game. His 17 points, 14 and rebounds, And what he brought, too, yeah. like, that comeback does not happen with Keldon Johnson's energy. Like, he provided a lot, like, in the statistical line. But what he was doing, I mean, the way he was grabbing his rebounds, the way he was just motoring, like... Got That's smashed in the face, kept attacking. Or, or was that a different yeah. game? He, um, he gets smashed in the face every game because he just drives through but, the, the the trees every time. Yeah, but Rudy Gay said afterwards, like, look, I mean, the guy only has one speed and that's a million miles per hour. And he's learning. Eventually, he's going to have to learn to pick his spots. Like, I'm just being honest. There is no way Kelvin Johnson can play like this and be 100% healthy his entire career. At some point, he's going to suffer an injury, and it's going to be a wake-up call. Like, it is. And, and I love Keldon for this, you know? But, I mean, the dude is strong, but he's not the biggest. And, you know, I, I likened it to, like, Bryce Harper when he came into the MLB. Came out, you know, would hit the ball on the ground, and would run the first base a million miles an hour. The ball would fly out into right field, and he would just run right into the damn wall until he broke his arm or broke whatever he, you know, first year he comes in, he has a significant injury. Comes back out, he's like, I'm playing the same way. Another long-term injury. And you realize that you're doing your team a disservice when you get injured. So um, over time, I do want him to pick his spots better. He doesn't have to play at that speed all the time. I'm a little worried that when we get to the end of the season, especially with the amount of games we're stacking on, on each other so quickly, that maybe he poops out a little bit. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm enjoying it. I, I think that will always be a part of his game is the energy level. I am a bit worried sometimes that he does play so aggressively all the time, but um, it's what makes him so endearing. I agree with you on all of that. I felt the same way a lot about Lonnie, um, especially with his injury history. You know, every time he jumped, uh, you know, and – like, you know, I, I would I would put out the videos and people would be like, tell him to land on two feet, you know, yeah. like and and he's gotten better at picking his spots. You know, it's it's, uh, you know, he, he's gotten better at changing speeds and knowing when to go go all out. I want to get one last question on, on Devin Vassell in. Do you guys think he ever plays a minute in Austin? No, no. No, I think this organization loves him too much. Uh, just from what he brings, we talked about this, the smarts he has, uh, how quickly he's adopted into the the corporate knowledge. I think um, what the Spurs do, he he, he just he's such a compliment to the organization. So. And, and I just want to say, I mean, it's such a you know, they're gonna be. I'm sure there are gonna be tons of people that say, like, see, you don't have to send everybody to Austin. And the difference being is that Devin Vassell was still the highest drafted Spurs player since Tim Duncan. He is going to be more refined. He is going to be better. Uh, he is going to do – there's a litany of reasons why a guy like that doesn't need to go to Austin. You know, Kawhi he could Leonard have been a top six to... pick in this draft and yeah. nobody would have batted an eye. 
No, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, you got to remember, Kawhi Leonard didn't spend any time in the G League. Why? Because they knew he had the stuff. And, and now I don't know if, you know, Derek White's injury, if Vassell gets playing time right away. I'm not saying that. I find it hard to believe that Devin Vassell would have been in Austin um, regardless. Uh, you know, I, I think he would have had. I think we said entering the season with Derek White healthy, we said like five ten minutes, I think, or something like that. He would have yeah. he would have found a small role, um, and I, I don't. You know, th- there has to be some perspective because the Spurs have built a lifestyle on having end of first round picks and building projects. Um, somebody who I do think will go to the bubble, the G League bubble, will be Shamanet. He needs more time. He needs more time on the court. Um, hit a three-pointer the other day, though. There we eh? go. Hey, speaking eh? of Shamanich, uh, just kind of a, a question off of your question, Tom. Is Shamanich more important than Vassell in the five-year plan? Oh, gosh. I don't do five-year plans, Jackson. You know that about me. What the I, hell I is th- that? I still think Shamanich is, is the most important kind of linchpin to this young core here. I mean, clearly DeJounte has all-star potential, uh, might even be an all-star this year, the way he's playing. If uh, the, the, the Western backcourt wasn't so, so loaded with talent. Um, Vassell, I think is nearing his ceiling. Um, I think he's got the, 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 I, I, I know there's room for improvement. We just talked about his field goal, but I think he is going to be what he is now, a really smart three and D guy who with a better finish at the rim, um, but you can you can disagree. I, I think you can get that for him for thirty minutes a game, and that's a really good player. I don't think he's got the the Clay Thompson. I think that's him, his ceiling for this year. Okay, I, I don't I don't see him being an all star in, in the Western Conference, but I see Shamanich is the guy who is the maker break if if he turns out to be the potential, what the ceiling is, you know, what they drafted him as. The Spurs are going to be good for a long time. Uh, they're going to be set for a while um, in a way that Vassell reaching his ceiling, his potential, doesn't set them up for that. If, if we're talking about who has the higher ceiling, I mean, Luca's ceiling is always going to be higher than most people just because his physical ceiling is much higher. Like, he, yeah. he bangs his head why, on a lot of doors, you know? And that's why they took him, right? Yeah. It was right. plus one. He was their plus one that year. They had two first rounders. They took the project. And then they got Kelvin. Right. And I, I think that the the discussion of who's the most important, I mean, I think I think Devin is going to be one of their most important players, period, this year and then and then moving forward. So, um, you know, I I still am a believer in tall Luca. I'm I'm of the opinion that, you know, he needs more time and and I want to see him get that time and get those reps for for the Austin Spurs. Um, but uh, you know, I I don't think at this point you can say that, you know, he's he's more important because right now like we're we're already seeing what Vassell can do and I I think coming in one of the big misconceptions really about evaluating prospects, right? Is you see the you see the high floor and you start thinking low ceiling. And I think Devin Vassell's ceiling is like 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 toward Paul George. You know? Like like if if he and, and he's shown tremendous growth off the bounce from his freshman year to his sophomore year of college. Um so if if he keeps working on that mid range shot, if he keeps 
developing off the dribble, um, I, I absolutely can see him being an all-star one day. I I think that the Spurs have a bunch of guys with all-star potential, and uh, probably not all of them are going to get there. Just if you know, especially if they stay together. But you know, I I think that that makes them a really dangerous, well-rounded team. We've seen we've seen this team win games because they have a whole bunch of guys who are scoring a lot, and you know, they've got six or seven guys averaging double figures, and four of them are the are the vets, but. You know the the rookies aren't aren't the the young guys are not uh, really slowing them down. Um, you know they're they're all playing together really well. So yeah, no, I I can't protect you, Jackson. I think they're gonna roast you for that one. That's fine. I, I'm totally open to being roasted. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so I'm I'm agreeing with Tom. I don't think he's the, he's the most important player in the future. I I think that uh, ceiling wise, yeah. You know, if he, he if has, he gets he there, has, he could. He be. has. He has he has unicorn potential, that's and that's why they drafted him. Um, but the cell uh, and what he provides and where he could go, I'm not as bullish on his ceiling as Tom is. But I, I think this I think there is a ceiling there. I don't know if it's all star ability, but yeah. could he be like the number two option for this team one day while also being one of the more disruptive two way players in the game? For sure. Does that get you all-star noms? Not usually. Uh, you got to, you know, be a bit flashier. But that doesn't matter. I still think Devin Vassell is like, you know, just somewhat like, like if you need to call somebody and you're in trouble, like in the future, Devin Vassell is going to be that guy for the Spurs. Like that is their dude. They can rely on him. You know what you're getting night after night. And that's important because for a lot of these guys, um, you know, to, to me right now, DeJounte Murray has graduated from the inconsistent, um, the inconsistent days. No matter even if the narrative is going to stick out there for the, for the normal fan, it's, it's over. Like, it's over. You know, DeJounte might have games where he scores 25 and then scores 10 or 8 the next night. That doesn't mean he was inconsistent. It just sometimes, like, with assists, rebounding, defense, he just he has it every night, and that's something that we haven't seen in the past. We did lose DeJounte more oftentimes than not on an inconsistent basis uh, in the past. This season, like uh, maybe one or two games, he's kind of been, but like that's every single player. Like that doesn't mean you're inconsistent. Nobody, I don't care. You can go to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Nobody is 72 of 72 lights out. So I just, I'm done with that. You want to say about Lonnie Walker? I'm all here for it. You know, I think Lonnie Walker can be more consistent because he is a good player. And, and, and I think it has to do with personnel around him sometimes, but um, you know, I, I just think that like DeJounte, uh, Vassell, they're going to be guys that you can depend on night in, night out. And um, that's uh, Derek White, another dude. So, um, you know, that, that's pretty much where I stand. If, if Luca works out, that's fantastic. That's, that's a guy that has superstar potential. Um tough to see it right now with the little glimpses we've had but um again i've always said that we'll we'll always revisit the lucas shamanich uh debate next year yeah you know i'm putting this episode in a time capsule and in five years when lucas shamanich is the unicorn we all expect i'll pull it out Mm -hmm. uh, and just remind everyone but in the meantime please roast me it's at least some interaction with me on twitter so i'll take it Uh, you know that was that was pretty future lonely could use some attention (laughs) Yeah, you know, but all right. I, you know, that you was like a pretty board games, long walks on the beach, the bachelor. I, 
I, I do love board games, so uh, hit me up on chess.com. Uh, you know, that was a pretty future-forward conversation. In the nearer future, in the next week ahead, the Spurs, uh, you know, if, if, if all things goes to plan, if the health and safety protocol all checks out, they've got the Celtics Wednesday, the Nuggets Friday, the Memphis Grizzlies Saturday, a nice little uh, three-game homestand here in the weeks ahead. Anything, guys, uh, anything you guys are looking uh, ahead to in those matchups? I mean, Celtics always a tough test. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of talent, and um, Jason Tatum, uh, is is great and Jalen Brown has really taken a jump this year. Um, you know he he's thrown his hat in the ring for most improved player and he was already like ooh yeah Jalen Brown that guy's good. Um, so I think it'll be an interesting center matchup here because uh, you know the that's one part on the court where the Celtics are a little weak um, and so might be a good game for Lamarcus here. Um, and if Kemba's playing, that matchup with DeJounte should be a fun one as well. Um, so that game's always fun. And then uh, you said Grizzlies. That's that's uh, uh, n- n- Nuggets and then Grizzlies. Yeah, Nuggets and Grizzlies. Uh, so Nuggets have been figuring things out after a, a rough stretch to start the year. Um, and Jokic, uh, I. I know MVP that Lamarcus possible? has the foot. I know Lamarcus has the foot speed to catch up with him, but uh, that that doesn't mean Jokic isn't gonna get buckets and rebounds and dimes and just like he's he's close to leading the league in assists, right? Yeah, he's yeah. he's, he's got an easy MVP right now, right? I think so, absolutely. He's he's up there. Like if it's not LeBron, yeah, he's he's so good and. Um, Jamal Murray didn't get off to a great start to the year. Honestly, DeJounte has been the better Murray to start the year. Um, but that'll be a fun game. And then against the Grizzlies, I mean, that's a team you need to beat. They, uh, You need to beat them for a playoff spot one, but they've also really struggled to start the year. They, You know, John Morant is back. Um, so, you know, they're, they're figuring things out a little bit. But, um, you know, and again something that we've talked about before all of these teams even the beatable ones they've all got 15 guys who are nba players for a reason uh so i don't want to overlook the memphis grizzlies they have a lot of good players uh and they always play the spurs pretty tough um mm-hmm. so but you know if if you're looking at games that you have to win for the rest of the year that is on the list for me yeah and and um you know the celtics last year San Antonio played the Celtics in Boston the same day that Mike McCarthy got hired for the Cowboys. I remember this. And they absolutely blew him out of, uh, of their own building. LaMarcus cooked them. So, yeah, I think LaMarcus is a big, a big guy to watch out in Boston. You mentioned Jalen Brown, um, uh, an all-star this season, most improved player, just dude's phenomenal. Jason Tatum is, again, I think a future MVP in this league. So that's a, a really tough game. And the Nuggets, that game is going to come down to Jamal Murray. Uh, in the past, Jamal Murray and Jokic have just absolutely eviscerated the Spurs in a pick and roll. So, um, I, and, and the oldest story in the book for the Nuggets has been, as you know, as far as Murray goes, is as good as the Nuggets are going to be. You know, you want to talk about a guy who fans can.
complain about being consistent. Jamal Murray is that guy. And then in the bubble, he exploded and was like, this is the guy we've been waiting for. And then this season, he comes out and gets off to a rough start. And it's like, oh, here we go again. Jamal Murray being inconsistent. Um, so, you know, that's a guy with superstar potential who doesn't necessarily bring that um, every single night. Of course, dealing with Michael Porter Jr. isn't going to be fun for this group. Um, also kind of a unicorn dude that's, that's working out for Denver. But, yeah, I mean, those are – those are tough matchups. I think you're, you're hoping for going one and one in those. I think that'd be, that'd be more than good enough. And then um, the Memphis one is interesting because Memphis, uh, just like the Wizards, are out of commission. And the first game on their schedule is the Spurs on the 30th. So if everything works out and they're able to get out of um, health and safety protocols, it's going to be their first game in 12 days. Um, they will be traveling to San Antonio, one would assume they would also still have players out similarly to what happened with Washington, where they have like six people still you know, sidelined due to uh, coronavirus. And they were significant players for a three and eight team, <laughs> but nonetheless, they were starters, rotational pieces. So that's, you could be playing the Grizzlies at a very fortuitous time assuming that both teams make it there. And that would be, um, you know, a really, a really big kind of sweep to have at home. Uh, sweeps haven't been happening in the NBA. They just, for the most part, teams split in these kind of deals. Yeah. So, um, you know, whatever. But John Morant absolutely smoked the Spurs in the first game of the year. And Memphis was on the unlucky side of things playing San Antonio when they had one of their still – one of their best offensive games of the season. I think what they dropped 131 that day. Yep. Um, Shooting 10 point, 10 yeah. three pointers is all coming in the paint on them. They were attacking. Um, yeah. But yeah. Ja went off. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the box and one against Ja in the matchup, um, depending on the rest of the team. So if you want to learn more about that, check out Tom Petrini's Twitter. He's got a great video breakdown on that. Um, I'm looking forward to um, the Boston matchup, uh, mainly because, Evan, like you were saying last year, LaMarcus went off, and it was during a stretch when LaMarcus was just going off. He was playing his best basketball mm-hmm. of the season, and and he's starting to get it cooking right now after uh, rebounding from that Golden State performance, two stellar performances from him uh, against the Mavericks and the Wizards. So it'd be cool to see him kind of contrib- uh, continue that, and Tom, like you said, he's got the, the matchup for it here in Boston. Um, yeah, one and one between Boston and Denver would be great, and yeah, you have to win that Memphis game. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, that's at Real Tom Petrini. Please follow Tom Petrini on Twitter at Evan Klosky. Uh You can follow the Big Fun Pod at Big Fun Pod. We post things like Big Fun plays. Uh, you know, we're live tweeting during the games from those accounts as well. Um, so lots of fun stuff to check out there. And I'm at Jackson Kins Five. Come roast me for my Lucas Shavinich takes. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Sunday was uh, a, a really weird and tough day of work trying to figure out how we're going to cover this. And we did not have a 5.30 show, as I mentioned, yeah. so everything was building up to after the Grammys. So, and the Grammys had to redo all their things, and obviously it's in a Staples Center, yeah. too. So, so many tributes that night in honor yeah. of him. And uh, so... You know, we're building together everything that we've heard from Demar and Popovich after the game, yeah. and all the what the other players in the league have done to to honor Kobe. And we're also still trying to gather information and 
provide that information to the viewer of what we know. Um, and then also, uh, towards the end of the show, doing something where what was the, the top thing on my mind when thinking about this death? Why is Kobe's death resonating so much with everyone? Why does it hurt so much? And I think the, the biggest thing is when you lose someone, you have to always extract the number one thing that the biggest strength that he or she has provided to other people. And when you think back to Kobe and the iconic static that he had for our generation, he was Michael Jordan in a sense, you know, yeah. for a younger generation, we're kind of in, in between where we, we get Kobe and LeBron at the same time. Yeah. Younger generations who are probably, you know, 8 to 14, they're all going to talk about LeBron when they get older. They, they kind of miss the whole Kobe thing. But the reason why MJ and Kobe stand out and uh, LeBron's, a, a, LeBron's a freak in his own right on the basketball court. I think it's a little bit different when it comes to that Mamba mentality, that competitor. You hear all the stories about uh, when his first playoff series against the Jazz, when he airballed a bunch of shots, he goes to the gym for hours and hours and refuses to allow his body to get yeah. tired again. That was the way that he was trained, was that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to be the best at it. And even after retirement, you know, when he was trying to figure out what am I going to do in my post-basketball career life, everything he put... 100% effort into and whether that's coaching his daughter uh, whether that's you know the the movie he wins an Oscar for whatever it might be he was giving a hundred percent and I think that when we think about mama mentality it was never something that was for him that only Kobe can do that was something that we can do and that's something that we need to understand of when it comes to living in this world that we don't know when the next day is going to be gone essentially yeah you know sometimes the world is left to luck in our hands you know sometimes we have a, a we can brace for loss uh sometimes we don't know it's coming tomorrow either way you just have to live your life with the mom mentality which is whatever i'm doing i'm going to give it my best and whether that's loving my family the most whether that's putting everything i have into this job if you do all that when that day comes you you did everything you could do in lifetime. You you can't control what you can't control, and you can't foresee the future. So I just think extracting the mom mentality and living that way yeah. is the way that he lives on forever. And I think that's the way that we can leave this world and yeah. and be happy knowing that we did the thing correctly. It's funny you mentioned that the kind of the, the players in terms of how like who we grew up with and who mm -hmm. we remember and things like that. This isn't a place or time to try to rank players, you know, where does mm -hmm. Kobe fit in yeah. with MJ and Le LeBron James, things like that. But I do think that globally, Kobe Bryant might be the globally the most influential player we've seen mm -hmm. to this day. I think there are players playing now who have the potential to be more globally influential mm -hmm. uh, in terms of talking about Giannis or Luka mm -hmm. Doncic, or even Steph Curry, depending on how the second half, mm -hmm. the, the, the back end of his career goes here. Um, but just the people he reached, uh, he was a global person as well, you know, spoke several languages. There's stories from Pau Gasol, mm -hmm. he only communicated to Pau in Spanish, mm -hmm. uh, even, you know, as Luka was playing this year and Kobe sitting behind him, speaking to him and uh, Latvian. Um, in Slovenia, just, I think. Slovenian, yeah, um, just uh, just a, a global player, um, and I think that 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 that's kind of one of the reasons why we see so many players reacting the way it is. This is the generation that he inspired uh, on the court, but also just off. If you look at recreational leagues, if you look at you know the the 
playground games and things like that, everyone's trying to be Kobe. You know, everyone's shooting like Kobe. That mm-hmm. was the thing that was everyone doing. And just, it, I mean, this is a, a silly point to bring up too, but just when you crumble up that piece of paper and throw it in the wastebasket, you know, saying yeah. Kobe, that's that's kind of the thing there. Just his influence goes reaches so on uh so beyond here uh just a, a quick personal story here mm-hmm. uh I, i'm a san antonio transplant uh, i was born in los angeles mm-hmm. i only lived there for two years it didn't define my life mm-hmm. but in middle school what i latched onto was my californian you know mm-hmm. growing up in middle school uh it was the red hot chili peppers and it was the kobe mm-hmm. lakers uh and that was the the run they had with Shaq, the 2001 yeah. 2002 2003 uh and that's kind of how i fell in love with basketball was through the lakers through kobe bryant and everything like that mm-hmm. um Watching the Kobe and Duncan years from that lens as a middle schooler and just kind of the the grinding games, the playoff matches they had, these these legendary kind of battles between the two teams there. And then um, I fell in love with the Spurs about the same time I fell in love with my wife when I moved mm-hmm. here. Uh, and that was her favorite team as a lifelong San Antonian and Duncan fan. And then going back and watching it from that lens as well mm-hmm. and, and looking at it and just the the mutual respectable i hate to use the word hatred yeah. but these these fan bases they they know like you were saying uh, and both and kobe and duncan have mentioned this too like if if the spurs didn't have those lakers they might have won seven championships mm-hmm. and if the lakers didn't have that spurs they might have won a handful of championships as well uh, more than they did uh so it's just it's it's been remarkable uh so moving to go back and kind of revisit all these memories that we have um do you have a favorite kobe bryant moment it's a good, you know, it's funny. Um, I have a workout shirt that I've had probably from middle school. Uh, my favorite number growing up was eight. Uh, my mm-hmm. brother wore eight. My brother wore eight for Cal Ripken Jr. I wore eight for my brother. But uh, my mom, because she knows I loved eight, I, she would buy gear that has eight. So still to this day, I work out in a Kobe Bryant eight number, which, I mean, he switched numbers too. So it shows you how long yeah. I've had that dang thing. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I still think the... Man, the number one memory, and it's the freshest on my mind, is just his final game. Yeah. Just because you don't get send-offs like that. Like, I mean, it, like, really, like, raises the hair on your skin because that, – and that's what it was like watching that game. Yeah. I remember watching that game and just being like, this is nuts. And he, he took 50 shots. Who cares? Uh They – like, again, going back to Rasil talking to Mike Tarico who did that game – you know, he didn't have strong games yeah. leading up to that contest. And Tariko even said to think that he was going to get 30, 40, 50. I mean, that wasn't an idea. They they thought he was going to go out there, get 20 or so, pull him out early, get the, the crowd and do whatever. And just, again, the mama mentality sort of deal is when he got out there, just lights were on, missed a few shots early, and then just... I mean, it just started lighting it up, and it's like, holy crap, what are we watching right yeah. now? Like, what is going on? And it wasn't a good team, but just this moment, L.A.'s crazy over this game. And, again, you have to remember the Lakers fans, are they are a tough bunch. Yeah. It is not easy to be an endearing character in the Los Angeles Lakers family when you're not doing well. Uh, I mean, even LeBron, like when LeBron came to L.A., it was always, we don't want you. You're not Kobe. Like, that's really what it came down to. Uh, Just a little digression as I have this thought, though. (laughs) But when LeBron came to L.A., I know that he came 
for sort of his next chapter. But I think when you talk about things happening for a reason, there is no player in the NBA more positioned than LeBron James to handle what he has to handle right now to try to help the city, the organization through this grieving process. The story coming out about the Lakers having its first meeting, they all come together. Uh, Frank Vogel says, who wants to talk first? There's 15 seconds of silence. And then LeBron James gets up and says, I'll do it. And has a line, something along the effects of, God gave me broad shoulders for a reason. And I think what's about to happen, um, like this is going to be the way that the Lakers nation just brings LeBron, like this big old bear hug. And LeBron's going to help them. And LeBron's here to provide them something, uh, just to help. And uh, I don't know what's about to happen during this season, but if the Lakers go on to win it, it's just going to be this incredibly emotional story.